Chapter thirty seven of The Hall in the Grove by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Fires of Genius. Mrs. Fenton's face wore an air, not only of perplexity, but anxiety. She sat in the low chair by the western window of her own room, but she was not looking out at the lovely sunset. In fact, she was not looking at anything but her own troubled thoughts. A shadow passed the window, causing her to look up, and she seemed relieved to discover that the substance was Caroline. "'I'm glad you have come,' she said, calling after her. "'Come here, please, as soon as you can.' And Caroline, wondering, washed her hands in haste, set aside the peaches she had been preparing for tea, and obeyed the summons. "'I did not know you had returned from the hall,' said Mrs. Fenton. "'Sit down. How long have you been in the kitchen?' "'I don't know. Half an hour, perhaps. Long enough to pare the peaches. Why?' "'Have you heard anything peculiar? Any unusual sounds? Oh, I don't know that you could hear them from the kitchen. Well, Caroline, have you noticed anything strange about Irene Butler during the last few days?' "'Nothing more strange than that she seems to have deserted sculpture,' said Caroline, laughing. There is an unfinished dog standing on her toilet shelf who has stood there with half a nose and not a suggestion of a tail for three days. I remember thinking it strange that she did not take pity on the poor creature and finish him. "'That is one of the signs,' exclaimed Mrs. Fenton, by no means laughing but in real distress. She has not been to the class for nearly a week, and you know how completely fascinated she was with it. "'Caroline, I am thoroughly alarmed about her.' "'For what possible reason?' asked Caroline, looking as though perhaps she ought to be thoroughly alarmed about the distressed little woman before her. That a woman like Miss Butler abandons a new fancy suddenly is surely no cause for alarm. I suppose she has gone back to her first love and means to devote herself to painting.' Mrs. Fenton shook her head. "'No, that is another strange symptom.' Do you know only yesterday morning she brought brushes and a tube of paint, and threw the brushes into the fire, and the paint into the alley, as she said to me with a strange sort of half-laugh, I have done with all that senseless folly, henceforth my life is—listen! What do you fear? said Caroline, changing color suddenly, as there arose on the quiet air a sort of sullen murmur or mutter from the room above rising higher and higher, until it expended itself in a half-yell, and silence followed. "'Caroline,' said Mrs. Fenton, leaning forward and speaking in a distressed whisper, "'she has been going on in that fashion for half an hour. I came in here to write a letter, and I haven't been able to do a thing but listen to her. I've really become so frightened that the cold chills run over me.' I never heard anything like it. I believe in my heart that she is insane. Much painting has made her mad, said Caroline, hardly realizing what she said. Then she rallied. Why, Mrs. Fenton, she surely has not given you ground for thinking that. She has seemed perfectly rational in the family. Mrs. Fenton shook her head. How much ground do you need? How many brains has Irene Butler to be turned, anyway? She has appeared strange for several days. Didn't you notice her last evening stirring her tea with a knife? And when Robert passed her the butter, she tried to take it with a spoon. I tell you, the poor girl's mind is giving way. 
just listen for the strange muttering sounds had commenced again rising as before to what resembled maniac yells then sinking away into silence she ought to be looked after said caroline rising she may injure herself what can we do mrs fenton i am worth very little for i frankly confess that the one thing of which i stand in mortal fear is insanity where is mr fenton gone to the five o'clock meeting so has every other mortal in the family we are all alone suppose she should take a fancy to come downstairs shall we lock the door and run away there is robert said caroline with a relieved air startled as the nerves of the two women had been the sight of the cheery-faced boy whistling a strain from one of the grand bursts of triumphant song which the jubilees sang had a reassuring effect boy though he was robert his mother called come here and listen the muttering had commenced again with renewed vigor what's up the boy asked wonderingly for his mother's face was pale and so was caroline's they told him briefly their fears and bade him listen to the sounds i'm going up there he said positively just in the hall mother near enough to hear what she is saying that will give us an idea as to what fancy she has and we can know better what to do with her i shall have to hunt up jack and i want something definite to tell him though i don't believe he has brains enough to comprehend the very mildest forms of insanity oh mother of course i am not afraid i will only stand in the hall she need not see me and if she did i can quiet insane people by looking steadily at them i can really mother don't you know when i went with dr pearson to the asylum how the noisy ones would stop yelling and come towards me as quiet as mice i'm going up as far as the head of the stairs this minute and leaving his mother divided between her admiration for his bravery and her fears of the result he darted away then the two left behind to listen did it breathlessly they heard the boy's nimble steps up the stairs pausing in the upper hall and all was still again suddenly the mutter arose in the air growing louder and louder until it culminated in that yell which was growing so fearful to the listeners below that they shuddered then they heard the boy coming swiftly down the hall down the stairs almost flying it seemed to their excited fancy had the insane woman caught sight of him and was she in hot pursuit the instinct of motherhood sent the frightened little mother toward the door to meet and help her boy. He rushed into the room, and instantly Caroline closed and bolted the door, and stood trembling to discover that Robert had thrown himself, face downward on his mother's bed, and buried his face in her pillow, where he was shaking as if with an ague fit. "'What is it, darling son?' entreated his mother. "'What did you see? Oh, why did I let you go?' then caroline in firm low tones robert you are not the boy i think you if you are not able to control yourself for your mother's sake she knew her material and felt sure that even though he had gone momentarily insane himself a plea for his mother would reach his brain instantly the curly head was lifted from the pillow and showed a face convulsed not with fright but with uncontrollable merriment oh mother he said don't you see i am dying to laugh and i mustn't let her hear me oh it is too funny and he went off into an outburst that was only controlled by a sudden retreat into the pillow the two women looked at each other 
is the boy gone daft said the mother going back in her haste to the tincture of scottish blood that was in her veins and taking refuge in one of their expressive words robert sit up and stop laughing tell me what it all means remember i have been thoroughly frightened i don't feel in the least like laughing he sat up instantly but his eyes twinkled with merriment it is so funny he giggled trying to speak so that they could understand why mother she is not insane it is the fires of genius that you hear roaring she has become an elocutionist and the way she is getting off the maniac is enough to make miss boyce's hair stand erect then while he retired into his pillow again the two women looked at each other and felt foolish who is miss boyce said the mother speaking irritably she felt she had been sufficiently frightened to justify her in feeling cross at somebody miss boyce is the elocutionist explained robert coming out of retirement why mother you have heard her recite that magnificent poem the last hymn she is the teacher here a perfectly splendid teacher and miss butler has been doing her class up brown for the last week i wonder i didn't think of it before i went upstairs i met her in the woods the other day and she was going it tremendously she does the effusive style in the woods how often oh how often in the days that had gone by i had stood on that bridge at midnight and gazed on that wave and sky how often oh how often i had wished that the ebbing tide would bear me away on its bosom over the ocean wild and wide this verse he rendered with all the italics which i have supplied breaking down on the last line into a roar of laughter rallying again to say oh but it is nothing to the way she is getting off the maniac i'd have given something for a peep at her she rolls her eyes i know i have seen her roll them in class mother i beg your pardon for frightening you so i didn't mean it but if you would just go to the head of the stairs and listen a minute you would know that i couldn't help it there was no use in chiding him for laughter he was off again rolling over and over on the bed in his paroxysm until at last mrs fenton feeling cross and foolish and amused all at once let the latter get the ascendancy and she sat down on the foot of the bed to laugh too we ought to be relieved enough to laugh said caroline sitting down on a trunk at the bedside i thought it was serious business i didn't know she had any taste in the direction of that study oh she has burst forth robert amazing taste you just go upstairs and listen three minutes and you will never doubt it again robert said his mother severely and then they all gave themselves up to a perfect uproar of laughter this was the inauguration of miss irene's public career at least she did what she could to make herself as public as possible in the line she had chosen the daubing and puttering had all been as nothing compared with her infatuation for the study or rather the display of elocution it was not long before she made a confidant of mrs fenton assuring her that she felt she had mistaken her vocation that now it was plain to her she had always been designed for a public recitationist of no common order it is not my place to move the masses 
she said complacently, in trying to argue herself into the sphere which she had chosen. It is like painting. You cannot move many people with paintings. The common mind is pitched on too low a key to respond. But when you do come in contact with a soul capable of understanding your idea, it is moved mightily. It is just so with elocution. But Miss Boyce succeeds in moving the masses, I should think, dissented Mrs. Fenton. At least there are masses enough here who are perfectly carried away by her style, which you say is so quiet as to be unworthy of the name of elocution. That is precisely an illustration of my meaning, said Miss Irene complacently. Thank you for suggesting it. Miss Boyce has a sort of imitation of the real, like lace. Don't you know there are plenty of common people who wear imitation lace and are perfectly satisfied with it, even think it is real? I never could endure the stuff. Now this lady who presumes to teach is capable of reaching the masses by her imitation of the real thing. She is commonplace, and they are commonplace, and she and they suit. But there is nothing of the tragic about her. I could never be satisfied with any commonplace selections such as she makes. Nothing less than Shakespeare or some other mighty genius fits my needs. Oh, I shall never trouble her. She is on too low a plane to realize even this. I can see in class how absurdly jealous she is. She actually tries occasionally to repress me. She is foolish. Our paths will probably never cross again. I consider my range of talent as so different from hers that there is no more danger of our being rivals than there is that that evening star over your head will undertake to rival that bit of a dewdrop at your foot. It is distressing to be obliged to tell you that Miss Irene's small audience belonged so completely to the class of people described as on a lower plane that she impatiently brushed the dewdrop out of existence and rudely said, Oh, nonsense! And abruptly went to the kitchen where, as she stirred vigorously at a meek-looking mixture in a large yellow bowl, she said, I wish some people didn't have to be either insane or idiots. The poor woman did not know that this was to be but the beginning of troubles. After that, she spent wakeful nights sighing over the thought that she ever suggested Chautauqua to Miss Irene. That poor, bewitched woman also spent wakeful nights rehearsing her poems. Indeed, the fires of genius seemed to roar loudest soon after midnight, and Mrs. Fenton, whose room you will remember was directly under that of the genius, used to have to lie and listen to the roll of words as the performer paced back and forth, interrupted only by occasional snappish appeals from the suffering Effie that she would come to bed and behave herself. Neither did the family succeed in keeping their trials to themselves. One evening Mr. Masters confided to them the fact that Miss Irene had persistently sought and finally obtained audience with the authorities at Chautauqua, and besieged them to let her try her new-fledged wings on the Chautauqua platform. She had assured them that they were deceived in the elocution teacher. She was utterly unskilled in the higher branches of the divine art. She was calculated only for the masses, whereupon she was good-humouredly informed that the masses were the very ones they liked to move, that any one who spoke on a Chautauqua platform must speak for the masses, because, having been educated to expect something good, 
they would certainly come en masse to hear it. When to this was added the explanation that the committee listened with great delight to the teacher in question, and believed her to be mistress of her art, Miss Irene was so good as to assure them that such a conclusion was owing to the fact that nothing better had been presented. If she could but be allowed the opportunity which she craved, she would give them a contrast that would astonish the people. "'It is so trying to be connected with the creature,' sputtered Mrs. Fenton, fanning herself violently when she heard of this climax. "'Though I believe I am glad, after all. She will surely have sense enough to lay aside her new accomplishment, for the present at least. After having utterly failed in her attempt to gain a hearing, mortification will keep her quiet.' But Mrs. Fenton was mistaken. Miss Irene was by no means discouraged. A trifle indignant she was, it is true, and she rehearsed her trials to the boy Robert, who in great glee repeated the story to his mother. Miss Irene believed that it was simply jealousy on the part of the teacher of elocution which kept her back. "'Mother,' reported Robert, "'she says the committee here is making a great mistake.' They would find it immensely to their future advantage if they would give her a hearing now. No one can tell, she says, what it might do for Chautauqua for her to be able to look back and say that on these grounds she commenced her career. And then Robert went off into his merriest of laughs, checking himself to ask a question. Mother, don't you think she really must be half-witted? End of chapter 37